السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين Welcome to Miss Women, the Muslim Institute for Sacred Knowledge, a new online institute for studying classical texts and contextual competence. My name is Um Abdullah and I'm your presenter and the developer of Miss Women. And it is my great pleasure to introduce to you and welcome you to the first book in our classical text series, Imam Ghazali's Bidayatul Hidayah. So we're following in the footsteps of our teachers and traditional learning centers by starting off our podcast journey with the Bidayatul Hidayah, the beginning of guidance. However, our path forward with this text will be through classical commentaries meaning we'll be studying the words and understanding of classical scholars and how they have interpreted and written about the text rather than via a student's commentary uh, or the interpretation that a Western student might have had after studying the book in various circles over the years, which would be standard practice. Um, however, I would like to hear the voices of the scholars that have come before us, inshallah, and hopefully through that get a much deeper and profound understanding of the book through the actual interpretation of the scholars, the interpreters of the Islamic tradition itself. So most specifically, we will be studying the book uh, called Maraqil Ubudiyah by the erudite scholar, Sheikh Muhammad Nawawi ibn Umar al-Jawi, who passed away in 1315 Hijra or 1898 in the Christian era. So I just want to clarify that this is not Imam al-Nawawi, the great Syrian scholar of the uh, 7th century Hijra. Okay, it is not him. It is a Javanese scholar who lived in Mecca and who was a very prolific commentator on all sorts of classical texts. And he had the name Sheikh Muhammad Nawawi. Um, but he was a Javanese scholar who lived in Mecca and he passed away there at the end of the 19th century. So I will mention that, inshallah, in the first couple of podcasts. And after that, I hope, inshallah, it will be clear that who we're talking about and who we're not talking about. And may Allah have mercy on all of them and benefit us by their knowledge in the dunya and the akhirah, inshallah. We will also be referring to another commentary called Al-Kifaya, by another erudite imam, the great Abdul Qadir ibn Ahmed al-Fakihi, who passed away in 998 Hijri or about 1589, uh, the end of the 16th century. Uh, his commentary al-Kifaya is actually an abridged version of a longer commentary that he did on Bidayat al-Hidayah. And it's a different level to a Nawawi's one. So it's a bit more complex and it's at a, a rather higher level and in some ways it's more concise and brief because he's actually summarized his own words from a much longer commentary. However, there are very particular insights from that book that we will be able to benefit from a lot. And as we go along, inshallah, in the different topics that the book covers, then we will be drawing from other texts pertaining to the fiqh issues and the tasawwuf issues, and also the aqidah and the different topics as they come up in the book. So, what are the topics in Bidayatul Hidayah? Well, they're divided into three sections, and the goal really of the book is to explain to a Muslim how to live their daily life. 
So it's very much a book of methodology rather than it being a book of philosophy or epistemology or of the higher sciences, which, of course, Imam al-Ghazali was renowned for throughout his career and which all came together in his magnum opus, The Great Ihya Ulum al-Din. So Imam al-Ghazali wrote this book towards the end of his life after he had returned from his many years of extensive travel and purification and he was asked by a student to write something simple that would help them with their daily experiences. So he wrote this particular book. In it, he talks about the intention for learning and he goes into some fiqh, the outer aspects of purification, prayer and fasting. Then he moves into the rectification of the heart and the ridding it of blameworthy qualities and adorning it with praiseworthy qualities. Then he discusses social conduct and etiquettes and inshallah that's where it stops but inshallah after that the goal is to go into Imam Ghazali's basic aqidah so that we have established for ourselves at the end of this ta'ala, a very solid foundation of Islam, Iman and Ihsan which we hope are strong and working for each of us the way that they should be because we should be working with those things the way that we should be, inshallah. So how will English-speaking women benefit from studying the Bidayat al-Hidayah in this way? Well, that's a good question because if somebody doesn't have Arabic, for example, then it would be very difficult for them to understand and have access to the texts. And this is uh, one of the issues because English-speaking Muslim women are usually not familiar with classical texts and particularly how they are commented on and explained by other scholars. And most books that are taught to English speakers this way are taught in an institutional setting such as in a university or perhaps a Darululum or Azhar or perhaps in a Terim or some of the other centres in various parts of the world, the Punduks in Southeast Asia, for example. So if women don't have access to those places, then they are usually not having access to the studying of not just uh, foundational classical texts, but also the various commentaries and levels of commentaries which have been made upon those texts over the centuries. One of the reasons for taking this particular approach is so that more of an appreciation for traditional knowledge can be built, particularly the structures of each subject matter and also for us to begin to understand that there is an extremely high degree of integration between all the various sciences. So we can take a fragmented approach to learning and this is often what happens in modern times is that we look at all the various Islamic sciences such as the Arabic language sciences or fiqh, the usuli sciences such as usulul fiqh or usulul hadith. Uh, we can look at aqidah and we can see all these areas as very specific fields of knowledge which they are very much so highly sophisticated and highly developed fields of knowledge with their own technical language, their own concepts, their own scholars, their own arguments um, and debates and different opinions that go on. But at the same time, underlying all of those different fields of knowledge, there's an incredible degree of integration where the same concept you'll find in one area, you'll find used in another area. 
but in a slightly different application. Or you'll find the development of one branch of knowledge is built on what's already been established in another branch of knowledge. So this particular aspect of our Islamic scholarly and intellectual tradition is something that is generally not known about at all, particularly amongst English-speaking Muslim women. And it's something that, inshallah, is one of the goals of MISC Women, which is to try and open the door a little bit to that so that we're able to have a deeper appreciation for what we have as an intellectual tradition and for us to actually know our deen in a far more sophisticated way. And inshallah, that will make us love it more and want to protect it more. And that really is the main issue because preserving our deen and preserving the knowledge that we have, I think is one of the imperatives of the ummah at this particular moment in history. And so our deen and our intellectual and scholarly and spiritual tradition has come under attack probably in the last 500 years through colonization, but particularly so since the Industrial Revolution, maybe in the last 200 years, from many different angles. And the particular fights or the disagreements and the attacks that are coming at the moment are coming from ideological sources. So whether that comes from outside the deen, uh, such as through uh, neo-Marxist or critical theory, left-wing type of ideological attacks, or whether it comes through issues within the ummah itself, such as scholars saying, I don't need to have a chain of transmission, I can do my own DIY approach because... I have the Quran and I have the Sunnah and I can interpret this. It's open for everybody. And of course, in the global political context in which we live, then it seems that Islam and the knowledge that Islam is, is constantly something which is doubted and reduced to certain elements, which it basically isn't. So I have a whole other podcast on that, inshallah, called Left or Right, The Straight Path, Please. So if you're more interested in looking at some of those modern issues and ideological issues, then we go into that in more detail there, inshallah. But the point is that for this particular class is that we know that there are attacks on our knowledge and on what we know to be true and on what informs us in our daily life as Muslims, as individuals, families and as an ummah. And so the thing is that if we don't even know what our scholarly tradition is, then we won't even know how to preserve it, how to look after it, and more importantly, what will we hand over to the next generation. And I, for one, do not want to be one of those people on the Day of Judgment who knows that I let this dean slip through my fingers And I think that's one of the most scary outcomes that we could be facing at the moment, which is that we let this dean go and that we don't preserve it and protect it and that we don't give it over, at least in the way that it was preserved and given to us, or hopefully in a better state than in which we received it. And one of the ways in which we can contribute to handing it over to the next generation and teaching our children and being a part of the transmission of it for future generations is because at this moment in time, we're actually a very educated ummah, and particularly women. Muslim women in 
both the West and in other countries, now are very highly educated in abstract and conceptual thinking. And this is a great benefit for us when it comes to now studying our Dean, because we have our minds and our intellects developed in a certain way, ready to take on ideas and things that are new and abstract to some degree. However, so far, through the Western-style secular type of education that we've all been exposed to, we've really only been able to apply that to materialistic or secular or physical types of subject matter. But when we take our abstract and conceptual thinking skills and apply them to religious knowledge, to the dean, then we can apply them now to more metaphysical, spiritual and other types of applications, practical applications, but which come from a much richer foundation, such as from the revelation, from the hadith that have come to us, and we're able to use those skills and thinking to apply there and see how that particular knowledge works for us and how that knowledge is generated and made and passed on. And this is something that's really quite exciting because it might be that over the years that wasn't as available as it is now. And going through this uh, lockdown phase that we're in and seeing everything pop up on the internet, mashallah, we can attend online the classes of people from all over the world and it really is such a benefit. And alhamdulillah, that shows us that this rich tradition is alive and that there are many, many ways that we can interact with it and learn from it. So this is another angle, inshallah, which hopefully will be open to Muslim women to be able to go into our tradition to learn what it is and more importantly, to fall in love with it And with that love for our scholars and for those who've come before us and, of course, for our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, then inshallah we'll be in the best state to be able to teach our children and pass it on, inshallah. So why the beginning of guidance? As we mentioned, it's uh, often the first book which is taught in our institutes today. And certainly in our Ba'alawi tradition, it's the first uh, major classical text which is taught to students of knowledge and also to older children. And it's comprised of three uh, conceptual elements as well, whereby the Bidaya, the beginning, is the practical learning of the Sharia, which is the ilam, the knowledge. And that's the outer aspect of, of knowledge. But when it's applied practically, to the limbs and to the heart in a disciplined system or following a particular path or tariqah, then that becomes the practice, the amal. And basically everything in Islam can always be reduced to those two concepts of ilm, knowledge, and amal, practice. But what are those things for? So why do we acquire knowledge and why do we put that knowledge into practice so that we can reap the fruits of that, the benefit of that, which is hidayah, which is guidance. And that falls into the third part, which is the haqiqah part, which is the spiritual realities, which is the deep and metaphysical and inexplicable knowing of the heart. And this is what Allah gives when he gives guidance. So he opens that possibility to the person. But according to the the method of Imam Ghazali, it's not something 
that just appears to you out of nowhere, although it can do, of course. But for the average person, it requires a certain amount of mujahada, so struggling against the lower self, and it requires a certain amount of commitment with a good and sound and pure intention. So inshallah, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to uh, give us a good beginning with knowledge and the good and sound application uh, inwardly and outwardly so that inshallah we might be blessed with hidayah, with guidance, which will make our deeds and our actions and our thoughts and our intentions wholesome and grounded and accepted by him inshallah and we ask Allah for a good beginning and a good ending so I look forward to you joining me for the next podcast where we will begin our study of Bidayat al-Hidayah through the commentary Maraqi al-Ubudiyah inshallah Jazakumullah khair Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh